Welcome to Midi the Podcast, a modern day podcast designed to answer all of your weird and wonderful pregnancy and postpartum questions. I'm your host, Monique Maitland, qualified midwife and nurse, founder of the Midi Society, and someone who is about to become your personal in-pocket midwife and virtual best friend. The Midi Society is a community-based platform where we interview leading healthcare professionals, new mummers and everyday people who share with us their experiences and reveal what they wish they knew before becoming a parent. So buckle up for this crazy and exciting ride. I'll be talking all things tits, bits, spew and poo. Alright, let's get started. Hey Midi listeners, I'm super excited to share the news that the Midi Society is launching their very own childbirth education classes in Melbourne, run by yours truly, me. So if you're an expecting mama in 2023 or know someone who is, reach out to us via our Instagram at at the Midi Society or by email hello at themidisociety.com.au to find out more. I cannot wait to make you feel empowered, confident and excited about all things labour, birth and postpartum. In today's episode, I speak with Erin Martins about her motherhood journey, in particular her postpartum experience with incontinence and the significant impact that this had on her mental health. At the young age of 26, Erin never imagined that she would not be able to control the function of her bladder after giving birth. Weeks into her postpartum journey, Erin decided to seek help herself and after many specialist appointments which involved hours of travel with a newborn baby and an expensive bill in costs of treatments, the pressure of trying to act like everything was okay eventually built up and left Erin at breaking point. Erin shares her battle with mental health and some of the barriers she faced when trying to seek help from our healthcare system. This story is real, raw and at times quite disappointing that in a country such as Australia where healthcare is supposedly accessible, vulnerable mums are let down and not supported enough. Erin and I hope that this conversation provides a platform for other mums who may be experiencing incontinence and postpartum depression not feel as alone. Following this episode, next week I will be speaking with the incredible women's health physio Jess Costos, also known as the Mama Physio, about all things normal bladder function. So tune in next week. But for today, please welcome Erin. Hello everyone and welcome back to Midi the Podcast. Today I am joined by the fabulous Erin Martin. So Erin, do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yes. Hello. Thank you for having me on, Mon. Um, My name's Erin. I'm 26 years old. I am a teacher still currently on maternity leave and I am a sleep consultant at Little Ones Wellness. I have a 14-month-old little girl called Quinn and, yeah, that pretty much sums me up in a nutshell. (laughs) It's always just like that and pretty much everyone's just like bang, bang, bang and that's all that's about me. That's all, that's the most important stuff about me. (laughs) There's so much more to you Um, but, no, that is great. Well, I'm so excited to have you on today, Erin, because what we're going to talk about is a very important topic and it often as you've probably discovered, it doesn't get spoken about 
a lot um, and we do have a focus of this episode being on, you know, urinary incontinence and a bit around bladder care. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit more about your pregnancy and birth with Quinn? Yeah, so the pregnancy was pretty good, no real issues at all. Um, about 35 weeks I started experiencing some tightenings um, so we, where I gave birth is an hour away from where we live. So we drove down there just to get checked out and they actually thought she was coming then. Mm. Um, I think it was just before 34 weeks. Um, but then they did that test. The fetal um, fibronectin? Yes, yes. Yeah. They did that test and that was like very, very low. So, um, yeah, sort of just got put on bed rest for a few weeks after that. And then, yeah, pregnancy was pretty cruisy, really. Had no morning sickness, nothing like that. Um, And then the delivery, like, I thought everything sort of went well. Like, from being there, I guess, you you don't really know what you don't know. Yes. Um. But, yeah, my waters broke at 11.50 p.m. So I just sort of <laughs> laid in bed at 11 o'clock, mm. I reckon, and I was sort of sitting there. I was nine days overdue um, and I was sort of thinking to myself, I was like, like, come on, like surely soon. And then, yeah, yeah at 11.50, that was the first symptom I sort of like signed that I had that she was, it was about to get going basically. And, yeah, so we had to get in the car and drive an hour to the next town to the hospital that I was going to give birth at. And I was having contractions in the car, like, sort of every five minutes. I was like, oh, you know, this might be pretty quick. Like, yeah. Um, had the TENS machine on and everything. And then, of course, when I got to the hospital, things sort of slowed down. A bit Classic. and they put us, put us in a room and was like, well, um, I think it's going to be a long, long day for you. So you need to get some rest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was about 1.30am and then she didn't come until 8.40pm that night. So I think it was oh, yeah. nearly 22 hours in labour and yeah, very exhausting especially because I hadn't slept at all before she came yeah. so yeah and then I think we were out of the hospital by 12 o'clock the next day oh my goodness yeah quick turnaround but yeah always these waters break at night time right yes. when you're just about to get some rest but no I know <laughs> and my partner would joke about it every night sort of the week before like every time we get in bed it would be like all right just let me have sleep baby and then come in the morning yeah. once we're all refreshed and that, I know. that didn't happen <laughs> if only they worked like that because then I wouldn't have to do night shift and it would be better yes. for everyone so <laughs> unfortunately it doesn't work like no. that <laughs> but I wish that it did yes that would have been a lot better but no um yeah everything was great when she come out and yeah it's a moment you can't really describe properly and yeah, it's a very amazing feeling when they first put her on your chest and you get to spend that quality time with her for a couple of hours after. Yeah, so beautiful. And, you know, you talk about your 
pregnancy being pretty straightforward and your birth being pretty straightforward but then we got into your postpartum journey and that's where you sort of discovered that things got a little bit more challenging and often for so many mums and I speak about this all the time through like pregnancy and birth your healthcare professionals are there to hold your hand to get you through every appointment get you through the birth and then you get home and you're sort of like what's going on or like what's normal and what's not normal and that's why Midi the podcast was born to try and help educate more mums and raise awareness for you know things like what you've gone through in your experience and I said to you off off the air that you're very brave for coming in and chatting with me today and sharing your story and we're going to get into some of those challenges that you faced in your postpartum journey now. So can you share a little bit about your postpartum journey? How was the initial phase? Um, aside from the incontinence, everything was like, like very good. Um, I felt like, I don't know, it's a very weird feeling when you have a baby. It's like you've met someone that you've known your whole life. Like, mm. And so I never had, like any issues or things like that with you know being a little bit sleep deprived and things like that it all and my partner was very supportive and he had quite a bit of time off work when she was born so in that sort of sense the only thing like issue I probably had was you know I was a bit hard on myself and I remember one of my midwives said like you know like you've got to stop being so hard on yourself. You did only have a baby like 14 days ago. Oh, like, and I, I do like, that yeah. all the time. <laughs> like women complaining, not complaining, but just being like, oh, I don't get it or I'm not, you know, this breastfeeding doesn't make sense. I'm like, girl, you pushed out a baby 24 hours ago. Like yeah. you're learning and your baby is learning. Don't be so hard on yourself. And they exactly. go like, oh, yeah, that's right. And I'm like, <laughs> come on, <laughs> take so much time. Yes, yeah, it's a lot of things you learn um, and just, yeah, I guess try and do the best you can for yourself and your baby and just learn little and new things along the way. But, yeah, in the sense of postpartum, like, yeah, aside from the incontinence, I thought everything, yeah, was very normal and, well, what I assume normal. I've never done it before but had really good support around me and, yeah, felt really I don't know you run off that sort of adrenaline for well it felt like it went on for weeks it felt like I wasn't tired until about six week mark I reckon yeah because all those hormones and the adrenaline that you're running on you're exactly right and then you get to the six point mark six week mark and you're like okay I'm tired yeah I'm really tired (laughs) and I'm really exhausted now (laughs) um but then can you share with us a little bit more about your incontinence and I guess when you sort of started to realise that mm, maybe this isn't quite normal? I remember the first sort of thing that happened was when I, so I had an epidural when I had Quinn. Um, so that sort of meant that I was in on bed rest like for, I think I was laying down for nearly like 16 hours or something. Yeah. And the first time I stood up after having her was two hours after and I remember standing up and everything just fell out 
Like mm. I didn't even and I didn't even know what it was. And the midwife or the nurse sort of like looked at me like gave me a funny look like, oh, like that's not sort of normal. So that was the first sort of thing where I was like, oh. And then afterwards it was sort of just wearing the nappies and I sort of felt like I was getting my bladder sensation back a bit but it was only when my bladder was completely full and then Mm. when it was completely full I was unable to you know hold to go to the toilet um and then you know if I was doing anything that was exerting myself a bit like um you know like skipping a little bit or um sneezing laughing coughing like all those sorts of things like yeah I was unable to control the the leak that was coming out so that was from you know day one and then I thought I was like oh you know this is normal like I was like I'm sure I've had a baby yeah pelvic floor you know it's it's been (laughs) damaged and surely everyone goes through this yeah it's a bit normal. and you and I think the misconception is you hear like women later down the track, like our parents and our mums and like things where they say, oh, I can't, like I can't jump on a trampoline as I yes, just weed myself yeah, yeah. or like I can't run because I wee myself. Like yeah. that's where that misconception comes from after having a baby that you're like, oh, well, I think this is just normal. Yeah, that's exactly and, what I felt yeah. like. Yeah, and when you were in the hospital, so early postpartum days, the hospital that I work at, we do what we call a trial avoid. Yeah. And you might have done a similar thing. Every hospital will have their own policies and the procedures that they follow. But basically what we do is if a woman has an epidural, once we take their catheter out, what we want to do is measure two ways. So we're looking at a few different things. We're making sure that they can void a certain amount and that they have the normal sensation and normal urge to go. And we do that for a woman who's had an epidural, we measure two. But for anyone that has um, a baby, we make sure that they can void normally postpartum yeah. too. Did you do something like that? Um, I remember them putting a one of those um, bowl things in the toilet. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then... I just remember them asking me a couple of questions before, you know, I was about to leave, like, oh, are you able to go to the toilet by yourself sort of thing? And um, I said, like, I can feel when I really, really need to go. But I said, I am still leaking a lot. Like, I am still changing my underwear, you know, three, four Mm. times a day sort of thing. Um, But they said as long as it was sort of getting better to what it was, um, like straight after the birth sort of thing. And I didn't go home from um, the town I had my baby in straight away. Um, mm. We went down and stayed at a caravan park and we had the midwife come down and do checks for three days. So um, it wasn't like I just went straight home. Like, yeah, she was sort of checking up on me, asking me a couple of questions and then sort of said like um, – you know, when you get transferred over to your community midwife, the town you live in, like just, you know, mention it to her and, you know, see yeah. that sort of thing. And had the physios come to review you or was there any physio referral? Because I know if I was a midwife looking after you and you had told me that you were still leaking even that 
early on, I would say, mm, no, this probably isn't quite normal. Maybe I'll pop a physio referral in. Did any of that happen for you? So from what I remember um, when I got sort of handed over, it was sort of a – the feeling I got was it was sort of a this these things sort of happen, it is normal, you know, to be doing this. Probably about 10 weeks postpartum, then it starts to get not normal. Um, mm. So it was sort of like a, then I got handed over to the midwife um, back home in my hometown and she was a lot more like, okay, I think you need to, you need to see a physio. Um, yeah. But that was probably maybe two weeks postpartum, I think, Um and the first sort of physio I saw was just online like this and I felt it was hard because she couldn't actually physically examine what was going on mm. and like she was trying to say these stretches and I, you, know, you don't know if you're doing them properly because I, I didn't actually have like a, a whole great deal of feeling down there still either. Yeah. Like, um. It's so, easy to have a conversation, but when you're talking about physical exercises, it's very hard to see that through a camera and be like, oh, yeah, that's exactly yeah. right what you're doing. Yeah, exactly, especially because I couldn't feel what I was doing. Mm. Um, so the midwife that from my hometown, she um, put me onto this girl um, who was a women's physio. So I think it was about the three-month mark, I sort of had um, an appointment with her and she did like a full internal um, mm. and she said like, you know, my pelvic floor muscles were very, very weak um, and she wanted me to go see my GP and then go see like a gynecologist um, for the neurodynamic test and things like that. Mm. Um, but I remember when she was doing the internal examination like she'd asked me to do the simplest things like things that I wouldn't even you know have to think about before and it was just so frustrating because I just couldn't do it like yeah. she'd be like just um squeeze this or something and I literally couldn't feel what I was doing and mm. she'd be like oh like um I'd be like oh am I doing that and she's like oh no like not quite like just try and bring it you know, from your bottom up to your front sort of thing and, like, could not feel anything. And I remember leaving quite disheartened because I was like something so simple like that and mm. I, I couldn't even do it. Yeah. So it's so tough and I think it comes down to that, you know, what we take for granted before having a baby and how much can change when you have a baby and then – you know, for you, it would have been the shock of not having that control of something. So what you would have looked at and reflected as being so simple to do to now not be able to do it, it would have been really frustrating. It was, yeah. Just, I guess I didn't realise how, I guess, damaged things were until, yeah, that that appointment. And that was, I think it was over three months after I'd had Quinn. So you know, mm. for that whole three months before I was not really sure what I should be doing. Um, I was wearing disposable underwear like every single day, having to change it like three, four times a day. I would try and go for a walk and it'd feel like, you know, I'd lose quite a lot 
like leak quite a lot while I'm going for a walk so I had to make sure I had like a, a fresh like mm. disposable underwear on before we left and yeah that was I guess I sort of just wanted answers on if it was going to get better how I could make it get better um which she did say that you know she gave me some exercises and things like that to do but she said it was going to take a very very long time because of how you know damaged it was I guess or how weak it was and did you have a normal vaginal birth or did you require any instrumental delivery or anything like that I had the vacuum so I was pushing for an hour and a half and then they used the vacuum after that Mm. yeah and we do know that sometimes our pelvic floor needs rest after having a baby because it's worked you know so hard and um, sometimes women just need full complete rest of their pelvic floor so often for us in hospital like if a woman doesn't pass her trial of void say she's voiding too much or too little and she can't actually drain her bladder we end up popping the catheter back in and they go home for a week with the catheter in just to completely rest their bladder and then they come back into the hospital and try and do that test again to make sure that they um have control yeah we it it's certainly become more of a uh, a thing where we're really proactive in checking women's bladder care because I think for a long time women would just go home and we thought that this incontinence was normal and we probably didn't test it enough post-birth yeah, so that's, that's why amazing. I was interested to see what it was like for you whether or not you had thorough testing post like immediately postpartum no um it was sort of just like from one of the midwives it was, you know, if you sort of get to around the 10, 12-week mark, then, you know, you should go see your doctor sort of thing. Um, and then this midwife from back home, she was great. She, you know, said, Erin, you really do need to get onto that. Um, gave me the number for this physio. And then I was doing my checks with her, like, um, weekly uh, up until about the six-week mark, I reckon, and, you know, she kept saying to me, like, if it's not better, then I suggest, like, you would need to go to your GP and get a referral to go and see a specialist in this yeah. sort of area. Yeah, so she was really, really good. Yeah. But, yeah, there was no, well, I guess from, like, the hospital and being discharged and that, there was no, like, um, physio examination or anything unless I organised it myself in my hometown. Mm. Personally, like this is going to be hard for you to hear, Erin, but I think that's really crap. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Like I think that that's very, very poor and I know that's hard to hear because, you know, it's probably something that you've reflected on and been like, oh, maybe, you know, they could have done this earlier or I could have done this earlier. But that is just you put your trust in your healthcare providers and unfortunately I think that, you know, probably this was missed and should have been dealt with straight away postpartum. Yeah. six months 12 six weeks 12 weeks um down the track yeah or it was a lot like yeah I guess if I wanted results um I sort of had to find it myself like and yeah you have done very well to get on top of it like for someone who's had to identify this themselves and work through this themselves like you have done a phenomenal job because lots of women would still be sitting at home being like what's going mm, I on I think this is normal and not actually be proactive because they've got a newborn you know the focus really 
for a lot of mums is not themselves, it's their baby and looking after their baby. So it's very easy to put yourself to the side and not actually focus on those really important things like bladder care. And for you to have had to pack, you know, a spare pair of clothes or anything if you're going for a walk or make sure that you had clean undies for your walk in preparation to leak, like that's heartbreaking. And that would have had just such a big mental impact on you what did it sort of how did all of this incontinence make you feel well I think for the first maybe couple of months like I said I thought you know to some degree it was normal Mm. um I guess I thought if it wasn't normal like you said I would be getting that more support and that more help in that area yeah um you know if it weren't normal so I think I did sort of think that it was something you know most women go through and it will get better I just have to do my pelvic floor exercises sort of thing Mm. um but it I I knew it was hard, but I don't think I realised how hard and how much it had affected me until like at least about eight or nine months later, um, sort of after I'd finished all the treatment. Um, And I think it's because it felt like I lost a lot of what I was able to do before. And, Mm. you know... um, I used to love playing netball and I was like, you know, I I don't even think I'm going to be able to play this year. Um, I still went out there and had a try um, and, you know, I'd have to make sure that I packed, um, put a fresh pair of disposable underwear on before I started playing and then I would, you know, have to be running to the toilet halfway through the game, maybe changing, you know, or maybe just going to the toilet. Um yeah, because I could, like, I was, I'd be running up and down the court and I could just feel it leaking. And mm. this is, well, this is still today, like, that that's happening. Um, but, you know, at, early on it was just, it was things like going to the beach with my daughter. Like, I had a brand-new daughter that I wanted to take to the beach. And, you know, if we went with people, like, I couldn't go swimming. Like, I could wear underwear, but, you know, if I'm walking, I'd just be leaking the whole time I was wearing my babies. So a lot of the time I just didn't go in the water. I didn't go like swimming. My partner would take her in like just little things like that. I think I found very hard. Um, Mm. We went to a wedding in December. So I think it was about four months postpartum and all I wanted to do was dance. Like I hadn't been out in quite a long time, you know, pregnant for nine months and then, my baby was four months old at this point and we went to go to a wedding and I remember dancing and I, the whole time I was dancing I was just leaking and so I had to get my mum to bring me out another disposable underwear and she did and I changed that and then I remember I tried to dance a little bit more and eventually like I ended up going home from the wedding early because I'd wet all the back of my dress like everything had leaked through like and that was like I was like I can't even go out and just enjoy myself like without 
you know, these issues and, yeah. Well, you're 26 years old. Yeah. And, like, you're very young still and it's a lot to be taken from a 26-year-old to not have control over their bladder. Yeah. Like, that is a huge thing that you have to process and deal with because I'm sure it makes you comment about yourself and how you feel about yourself like you know maybe you feel dirty and maybe you feel so frustrated and you know the simple things like going for a walk going and dancing and you know being with your partner and not having to stress about those things like it's huge yeah and it's not easy yeah like embarrassing as well like it like and it shouldn't be it shouldn't feel that way and I'm lucky that I've got such supportive friends who don't even have kids that you know understand and they're like no Erin like you need to stop being so hard on yourself like this is just something that you're going through and Mm. like it's not it shouldn't be you shouldn't feel like that no and the thing is like it's no fault of your own yeah that's the I think that's the most frustrating thing yeah like it's nothing that you have done to have caused this and it's a journey and you're still on that journey and it's a long journey but you speaking out about this how many women do you think are going through some sort of incontinence that probably don't have access to education because they can't find it or they're too scared to talk about it because they're worried about being judged by other people and not having a supportive network like you do like you are so brave for coming on and chatting because it's it's not an easy thing to share no anything about our body and that society might view as like you know we're so cruel to judge we judge women so quickly and we are so cruel to them and I'm just very proud of you for coming on and sharing your story because it obviously has been a massive journey for you and you're still going through it. Um, But did you have, did you find any resources out there that helped you during that time or did you feel quite alone? I guess, I guess I feel like it and I still feel like it's not talked about enough um, but I think it was after all the treatment I sort of had that I found the birth trauma awareness page, um, which is something I didn't know existed before finding it. And they have some really good stories and, um, I guess, uh, programs that you can do like peer one-on-one sort of sessions and, you know, meet all these different people that might be going through something similar, but, other than that, it was sort of only, you know, the odd inspirational quote you might um, find on Facebook mm. or some or Instagram, sorry, or, yeah. Yeah. So you really felt like you were one of the only ones sort of going through this? Yeah. I think because it's not talked about a lot that, yeah, it does feel quite isolating in that sense, mm. yeah. Yeah. And... When did you go, okay, I know you're having your uh, appointments with your your midwife. Did you end up going and seeing a gynecologist or how did you go about moving forward and trying to really get on top of this incontinence? 
Um, I, so I remember seeing my GP a couple of times um, for my daughter, um, for her checks and stuff. And I remember saying, you know, saying it to her and she sort of said, oh, yep, you need to see a physio. And after I saw the physio, I went back and said, you know, is there, like I want to see someone else. I want to be proactive in this. I don't want to wait three or four months to see if these pelvic floor exercises help a little bit. Like I want to start doing something now. Mm-hmm. So she referred me to a gynecologist and I think I went there in January. So Quinn was five months old, I think. And she ended up uh, scheduling me in for a urodynamic test. I had to take a bladder diary for two days before that and then yeah go back when they could fit me in and so I did the urodynamic test there and it was sort of just to tell them what sort of incontinences that I had um so after I did that she sat down with me and told me that I had two different sorts of incontinence so one is the stress incontinence um so through through exertion or like sneezing, coughing, things like that. And then there was an urge one as well. Um, So she sort of just gave me a plan on what we could do to hopefully see some improvement um, that I had to sort of follow. So that involved, um, so there was two different types of treatment for that because there was two different issues. So one was targeted at the pelvic floor muscles and that was sitting in like a, it's like a neo something, neotens chair or something like that. And it was this chair, like a normal chair that you would sit in, but it would um, like vibrate. So she asked me to do that every week for 10 weeks, um, two times a week. So, and this is over in Adelaide, which is five hours away from my hometown. So that meant that every single week we were doing a 10-hour round trip, spending three days in Adelaide with, you know, a five-month-old baby. And then the second lot of treatment was three rounds of laser. So I'd have to have one a month for three months and then I'm due to go back for my six-month top-up next month. Um, So, yeah, going back to Adelaide for that treatment as well. That is huge. Like driving that far and taking so much time out of like, you know, you were still five – five months postpartum is not a long time postpartum. Like you're still – learning about you you're still learning about your baby and then to have to pick up and sort of go to Adelaide for a few days every single week like that's massive and certainly not easy no and I I'm one of those people that sort of internalize things so I guess I didn't realize how much it was actually affecting me until Mm. after I actually stopped the treatment three three and a half months later but Mm. it was you know it was quite hard on my family because my partner works week on week off so one week he would come with me because someone has to you know be with my baby while I'm in these appointments so 
he would come with me and then the week after either my mum or dad would have to come with me. So every two weeks one of my mum or dad was coming to Adelaide with me as well. So it wasn't just affecting me, my partner and my baby, it was also affecting my parents as well. Mm. And it was also something that like you had to do for yourself. Yes, yeah. And then aside from, you know, the the travel, we were lucky because um, our baby was quite cruisy. She travelled really well in the car. She slept fine in, you know, any place. It didn't really matter. Um, But then there was that extra financial sort of aspect of it because, you know, the treatments that I was getting were costing quite a lot. Um, The fuel and the travel down there as well. Um, And none of it, you know, no appointment that I had, um, no treatment that I had was covered on any form of Medicare or private health or anything like that. So to this day, it's probably been easily around the 12 grand mark that we've spent on all these different treatments and things like that that I've had um all the appointments that I've had and we're lucky that we're in a situation where we're able to pay that sort of money for these treatments but it's very scary to think about what someone who can't afford Mm -hmm. these sorts of things does because you know, it, it would be heartbreaking to think that they don't get the help that they need because they can't afford to get it done. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that's right where my brain was going, that it's just appalling to think that, you know, you had to pay that amount of money to try and help you get through this crappy time that you're going through postpartum and yes you're very fortunate that you could you know spend some of that money um and you're in a position where you can but it's just disgusting to think that if you weren't in that position what would you do like there would just you wouldn't feel like there's any support for you and it's just heartbreaking 100 percent. and did this treatment help you at all So the one sitting in the chair, um, I definitely felt like I got, um, I guess, a little bit more control over my pelvic floor uh, muscles because before I even started the treatment, I couldn't hold. Like, you know, the physio would say, oh, can you just show me, you know, a hold? And I I couldn't even do that. Um, So... I think it improved quite a lot from where it was, but, you know, I'm still having quite a lot of issues as well. It's 100% more manageable now than it was all those months ago. Um, And then the laser, um, I felt like the first time... So the laser, what they do is they're sort of trying to promote collagen production in your urethra. Um... So I had that and I felt like after the first time I sort of saw an improvement and then the two times after that there wasn't much more of an improvement from there. So what happens now is um, I go back next month for another top-up laser and then that's sort of the end of my treatment and then they will see 
the progress, which, you know, I've still got quite a lot of issues. Um, it's still like I'm still wearing disposable underwear. I'm still leaking when I'm doing things. Um, it looks like if this sort of treatment hasn't helped, then I'll have to go in and have the sling surgery done. And that's a lot to process. Yeah. I think the hardest thing, a couple of weeks ago, I went back to that first original internal physio and she, so I saw her once and then I went off and did all this um, treatment and things like that. And I was Mm. like, you know, I need to go back and see where things are sort of at. So this was in maybe August, September, I went back and seen her and she did another internal exam and she sort of was explaining to me that the part that was damaged is the internal sphincter muscle and she I'm pretty sure it was that one um it was either the internal or the external but I'm pretty sure it was the internal she said to me that the part that was damaged isn't likely or like cannot be fixed by surgery or pelvic floor muscles because that's just a like an automatic sort of um muscle like you have no control over that Mm. so she sort of said to me a couple of months ago that basically I'm just going to get to a point with pelvic floor exercises and then the incontinence won't get any better. It will, like, I'll be dealing with this for the rest of my life. And that's a lot to process because you've been trying to get to a point where that's not, like, your end point. Because you don't want to, like, you don't want to live with this for the rest of your life. No. And I'm sure if, you know, maybe before you were thinking about how many children you wanted, that after going through this, the thought of maybe having a baby again and potentially damaging your pelvic floor again would be a very scary thought. And I think that's the sort of hard thing because, you know, and I don't, I know I mean people don't mean to, you know, put you in that sort of position where you feel uncomfortable because they don't know maybe what you're going through. But, you know, from three months postpartum, I've had people asking, you know, when are you having your next baby? And it's like mm. I'm 14 months postpartum now and I'm like I'm still trying to get used to everything that's going on. For me, the, you know, the birth sort of trauma that I've had and I'm nowhere near thinking about another baby because I'm just, trying to get myself right and Mm. deal with what's going on. Yeah, and it is a question that shouldn't be asked and I have spoken about that before because we don't know what's going on internally. Like everyone around us just judges us externally but really they have no clue what, you know, each woman's processing themselves and every single woman's journey is so different. Like no one's path follows the same way. Yeah. And you have come such a long way it probably doesn't feel like that because you're still dealing with this but you have and yes you still have more to go but by you even speaking about this today with me it's going to help so many people and I hopefully I hope that it helps you too know that you're not alone and that people are going to be listening to this thinking wow she's amazing like she's so brave to do this 
Thank you. And then you did reach a point though where it became a little bit too much and you just felt like nothing was getting better and you wanted the help but you weren't actually getting the help that you needed. Can you explain a little bit more about that where you sort of discovered that maybe you had some sort of postnatal depression uh, going on? Um, I've always sort of struggled with anxiety to some extent Um, and I think, well, for me anyway, when I became a mum, I feel like I felt like it increased tenfold. Like Mm. you constantly worry about your daughter, you know, like is she healthy enough, is there, you know, something wrong with her, like... So I think that brought on a lot more anxiety and then, like I said before, I didn't realise how much all this other stuff was affecting me and I'm one of those people that internalises it and just Mm. pushes it down and eventually the pressure gets too much and it's got to go somewhere. It's got to release. Sounds like me. (laughs) Somehow and that's what happened for me and I think at this point as well you know I was suffering from the incontinence since I had Quinn I'd had all this tingling down my legs and for me you know it was quite a worrying thing because I hadn't had that done before um so at this same time I was going to doctors I was getting referrals to neurologists I was going and getting all these nerve conduction studies done MRIs on my brain and my spine and things like that as well and they were testing me for things like MS so that was uh, that brought a lot of anxiety as well because nothing in the health system is quick you know you've got to wait for appointments you've got to wait for scans and to get your results back and things like that so it was a good you know probably two or three months where I was you know I couldn't sleep I was worrying about this every sort of day like what's going on because it's not normal so you know I was dealing with that sort of at the same time and then I had quite a few um you know my gynecologist the neurologist that I was seeing um and the internal physio that I was seeing as well, all three of them tell me that if I have a baby again, I'm, you know, they strongly advise me that I shouldn't have a natural birth. And I think that as well was like something that I had no control over. You know, what was going on with me had mm. caused something to be taken away from me. You know, yeah. I didn't have a choice sort of in you know being able to do what I wanted with my next birth and you would have never imagined this to be the path that you were taking no plus seeing all those specialists like that is huge think about mum's struggle to get out of the house day to day so to fit all those appointments and be waiting in waiting rooms like it is huge Going to a simple maternal child health nurse appointment is hard sometimes for people. So like you had a lot on your plate very early on and yeah, I just can't even imagine how hard that would have been. I think, you know, the hard thing about living rurally is 
that every appointment that I basically did have was having to go to Adelaide, which for us is a, you know, with a baby, a 12-hour round trip. And so I sort of didn't start seeing the neurologist and things like that until after I'd finished all the treatment for my incontinence. So, you know, it felt like we were in Adelaide for, you know, four or five months, you know, every week, Mm. four or five months. And like I said, I didn't realise how much it had actually affected me until all, so three, I had three health professionals, so my neurologist, the internal physio, and then um, a massage therapist that I see every couple of weeks, all three of them actually said to me, how are you coping with this? And, you know, I was one of those people that was always like, I'm fine, like whatever, it is like what it is. And even when they asked me that, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. And I was like, I think I sort of sat down and I was like, you know, what why have all three of them asked me that like is something you know a bit a lot bigger than I think going on like you know when it's happening to you you sort of just try and keep going and try and keep pushing on like it was very I just found it very strange that three people actually you know in our consult you know stopped and said like how are you coping with this mentally Mm -hmm. and I was yeah, I think it sort of took that to be like, oh, you know, <laughs> crap, like, yeah. yeah, maybe I'm not coping as well. And I remember I think it was the neurologist asked me and I nearly like burst out crying when he asked me because I was like, I think it was the anxiety of that, you know, consult as well because I was going in there to, you know, get all my results and things like that as well. So, but I think it felt like... I could feel it building up quite quickly from what it had been before, Mm. but it literally felt like one day I just woke up and I don't even know, like I just hit a wall. And I remember going around to my mum and just, I just broke down and sorry. No. I just broke down and I ended up staying with them for a week. My partner was at work for a a whole week and, you know, he works 14 hour days on the weeks that he works. So, you know, mum and dad were like, come and stay here. So then someone's sort of always with you. And we made a doctor's appointment, um, because sort of didn't know what else to do. Um, so we couldn't get in for a week. Um, and so it was sort of like just staying at my parents' house for a week. They were just sort of, you know, making sure I was okay. And it's so hard to, I find it hard to describe what I was feeling because I know there's a lot of stigma around mental health and a lot of people don't understand it a lot either but it literally felt like I couldn't do anything like any sort of small task overwhelmed me and it had nothing to do with like I know a lot of people say like 
postpartum depression can be um, to do with, you know, not wanting um, your baby or like not feeling Mm. that connection with your baby. And this was, you know, nine, nine months after she was born, like it was not at all related to her or anything to do with her. I think it was just everything that I'd sort of gone through up until that point and for me just it was very hard for me to deal with so after that week we eventually got into the um the doctor and mum come with me and we went in there and had the consult and they suggested um putting me on medication and I was always and I don't know why not for other people I wasn't against that for other people but just for myself I was like had this you know thought that you know if you went on that you you were failing like Mm. and I remember going in there and I was like I don't have any other option I need to I need to do that and I sort of went in there thinking like you know if you're sick and you've got a cold, you take something to make yourself feel better. I was like, why is it with mental health and anxiety that, you know, sometimes people have imbalances in their hormones and things like that and sometimes you actually do need something like that to help you. And so my doctor gave me a script for that and she said that um, for two weeks I needed to be basically put on suicide watch because these tablets can give you suicidal thoughts. So for two weeks it was, again, staying at my mum and dad's house and, you know, they basically made sure someone was with me the whole time I was awake. Um, I think that sort of worried them a lot as well. Like even, you know, I would sort of say like, you can just go off and have a coffee. I'm fine to just, you know, sit here. Mm. It was, I think it was overwhelming for them as well, um, especially because they seen how much I'd changed in that small amount of time, I guess. And then she wrote a referral um, for a psychologist, but she basically told me that it would be about two months before I'd be able to start seeing someone. So we left the appointment with the referral and, you know, the script for the medication. And I remember getting back in the car and I just broke down again to mum and I was like, I can't wait two months for mm. some sort of help. Like, I said, that's just ridiculous. So mum ended up taking me back into the doctor um, and we sat in this room and then she come back in and I was just crying. I was a mess. I, and, you know, mum was like, oh, she, she just wants someone to help her now. Like, <laughs> sorry. No. And, you know, so... <sighs> the doctor was sort of like there isn't really anyone that I can get in for her like um she rang the emergency department at the hospital and you know said you know if she come up would she be able to speak to someone like and the emergency doctor was sort of you know a bit 
rude, like, you know, well, if she's not having suicidal thoughts, then no, there's nothing that we can do for her. Um, you know, so it was sort of like, you know, basically, you know, if my mum's willing to go home and look after me, that, you know, that's what we need to do until I can get in to see someone and it was basically like a, you know, we can't do much more for you now sort of thing and I think that was, that made it feel worse because it was like all I wanted was someone to help me and I couldn't even get Mm. that. Like it felt like it'd take me so long to speak up and ask for help and then to not be able to get that help that I wanted, I was like, do, do I not deserve any help? Like, that was well, really hard. Yeah. And Erin, you have been through so much and holding on for as long as you did, like, you did so well. Every single day would have been tough. And I think having the feelings that you were experiencing is totally valid considering what you went through. You know, something that was so minor before having a baby, like being able to control your wee, now that was taking a massive toll on you. Plus everything that you were going through with your specialist appointments, like you were constantly doing things and doing things and doing things and you got to the point where you couldn't do them anymore and you probably stopped and that's where everything just came flooding in. But it's just such a shame that that's what our healthcare system did. Like to have someone so vulnerable to then turn around to them and say there's nothing that we can do unless you're wanting to, you know, kill yourself. It's just, it really is disgusting and I'm so sorry that that's what you had to go through because if they had said, yes, this is what we can do, X, Y, Z, that would have just taken some of that pressure off you straight away. Yep, 100%. And I remember driving home with my mum that day and she was just like, you know, this is crap. Like there's someone else there asking for help and they can't get it. So on the way home, it was an hour drive home, we were just, you know, researching all these different psychologists and um, ringing up to see when the next appointment sort of thing was. And a lot of them said, you know, some were six-month waits, some were year waits. Um, we eventually found one that was two weeks wait, I think. Even then, like, that felt like a long time, like, to wait that two weeks. And mum spoke to this one on the phone and sort of told her what was going on and they ended up putting me in for an appointment two days later um and we ended up driving back to Adelaide to go to this appointment and yeah finally saw someone and was able to talk um I didn't feel like I connected so much with that psychologist so I ended up finding another one which I just talked to online because they're from Melbourne and Mm. I'm finding that helping a lot but I felt like the medication you know sort of after that two-week mark once that sort of kicked in I 
I noticed a difference in myself and, you know, even my mum and dad said, like, Erin, we can, like, see that you're a lot more at ease now than, you know, you were a couple of weeks ago. So I think there shouldn't be that stigma around the medication because I know how much it helped me and I would, yeah, hate to hate to see what I would be like if I had have said no, like I don't need that, I don't sort of thing because I think it's it made a massive difference in my life. Um, yeah, really just helped me get through that time that I was going through. And I think it comes back to it's okay to accept help and surrender like when you are at your lowest point for people to help you because you're right there should be no stigma about taking medication because it's had such a positive impact for you and it was the right thing for you to do and you should be proud of yourself for saying yes and being able to do that but what you went through like it was a massive toll on you but also it's just a shame that our healthcare system failed you and also put a lot of that stress on your family because if it wasn't for, you know, it sounds like you have an amazing support network with your immediate family, your mum, your dad and your partner. Like if you didn't have that, I think things would be totally different and it's a lot for them to have to step up and do all these things too to try and get you the help that you needed. They're very lucky that um, they, my parents, own their own business, so they were sort of able to, uh, especially for that two weeks um, where I was told that I had to sort of be watched, um, they were very flexible in being able to swap around work and things like that um, to make sure that Mm. someone was sort of always home with me. Um, But, yeah, I'm very, very lucky for the people that I had there for me um and even my friends like I've always been a very private person and you know sort of one of the people that sort of say you know if someone asks you how you are I'm always sort of like yeah fine like whatever Mm. sort of thing and it really shocked me that when I went through this you know um you know I might get a message to ask um someone asking me to you know do something or like for them or you know can you just do this job for the netball club or whatever and you know at that point I was just like no like I'm not coping very well at the moment I'm going through a few things I'm sorry I can't help you at the moment and for me that was always that was really big and I guess it made me realize how much I actually was struggling because nine like 99 times out of 100 you know I would say yes I'll help you you know no matter what I was going through and yeah it's just really shocked me that you know I was actually saying to someone like no like I'm not going okay at the moment you I can't do that for you and that is so brave and powerful to have even been able to say that and I hope that you can reflect and realise that yourself that, you know, you prioritised yourself and you were doing what was best for you and saying no to someone regardless 
to what you're going through. Like it's okay to say no and it's okay to put yourself first. But often we just think that we're letting someone else down or we're letting ourselves down. But it shouldn't be about that. It should be just about focusing on you. And I've said it a hundred times already, but you are an incredibly, incredibly resilient woman, Erin. You really are. Thank you. Because... I think if I was in your position or if any person was in your position, they would be feeling the exact same way. And to say that, you know, you've you've gotten through these really tough days and you probably still have a few tough days to go through, but you're doing it and you should be so proud of yourself for getting up each day and even coming on this podcast and speaking out like it's huge and you should be really proud of yourself. Thank you. It's nice to hear that. <laughs> And often we don't hear it and then people come on here and I tell them, they're like, okay, I believe you now. (laughs) But everyone else who's listening, they will be thinking the exact same thing. There is not a doubt in my mind. Like I really think people listening, I know me listening to you, I just sat there and listened and I was just in disbelief that this is what you've gone through. But also like, wow, like you are amazing and it takes guts to get up each day and you have done it and you've still done all this whilst caring for your daughter which is huge I think I I do hope and I I think it will you know help someone else listening because I know that when I was sort of going through all that you know I I would have given anything to hear something Mm. like this and just to know that it does get better and you know, you can get to the other side and, you know, be able, hopefully be able to talk about it so that, you know, you can help other people if they're feeling like that as well. And the fact that you can come on and talk about it just shows that, you know, you're processing this and you're getting through it. Thank you. And one of my last questions for you is you mentioned that you're a sleep consultant and you do a lot to support parents, where has all of this led you today? And what is your message to other women who may be suffering in silence too? Um, Yeah, so at the moment I am working as a sleep consultant um, from home, um, which I just do sort of through my Instagram channel. And it's amazing the types of people that you connect with that you wouldn't have found otherwise Mm. um for me it was a way to connect with other mums as well because I don't have a lot of friends that have children um my you know my three best and closest friends they all don't have babies at the Mm. moment um so I guess I found that a little bit hard Um, but just being able to relate and talk to other women but then, you know, hearing their stories as well because a lot of people that come to me are sleep deprived and it's really heartbreaking some of the stories that you hear about their mental health as well and I Mm. think that's what sort of made me want to speak up about mine as well because just – that there's not enough message out there I don't think and especially in relation to birth trauma um 
incontinence, things like that. None of these things are spoken about enough. So yes, on my page, I'm a sleep consultant on my Instagram page, but if I can share these sorts of avenues as well, these sorts of things that are going on for me, you know, and make my page really relatable as well, you know, I'm hoping that there's just one person out there that might find it helpful and like Dave got that support that I didn't feel like I had and that's all I'm really hoping to get out of this because I am in a lot better mental health position today than I was months ago and I just want people to know that it it does get better and you just have to let people help you that's the biggest thing and I think that's why I hit a wall so hard was because I let it build up for so long I didn't ask Mm. for help and then it eventually got to a point where I felt like I couldn't you know like I couldn't keep going and feeling like that so yeah and it is totally a credit to you to be able to put yourself in that position and you know, even when you're still going through your stuff, like things yourself, you're being present to try and help other mums and families get through their own issues. And that is so powerful and absolutely amazing that you're able to do that. And once again, you should be super proud of yourself for doing that. Thank you. And we all know that sleep deprivation and mental health go hand in hand. Yeah. So head over to your Instagram page and check it out because lots of tips there. Thank you. Well, Erin, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today. You've done an absolutely amazing job and once again, you should be so proud of yourself. But most of all, thank you so much for sharing your story and I know that this is going to help so many other women, not even those women who might be experiencing some incontinence, but we all know that each mum goes through their own little journey and has something that they're going through that this conversation I hope that it's given them hope um, and courage to either speak up if they need any support and hope that they can get through it so thank you so much for being so strong and sharing your story with me thanks Mon and thank you so much for having me on my absolute pleasure see ya bye thank you thank you for listening to today's episode of Midi. Your support means the absolute world to me. So if you loved this episode and want to stay up to date with the latest interviews and midwifery education, please hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review. For further information about this episode, please check the show notes below. If you wish to share your pregnancy and motherhood experience, you can get in touch with me by emailing hello at themidisociety.com.au and find us on Instagram at at themidisociety or at Monique underscore Maitland. I cannot wait for you to join me next week. I'll be talking all things flap chat. In the meantime, I hope you have an amazing week and remember you're doing the best you can.